Greetings and welcome to Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth. You may call us to share your thoughts, pose a question, or to give a general comment by dialing area code 323-642-1562. And now, Dr. Culbreth. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Visibility. I'm your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culbreth, and we're coming to you live today from New Jersey, as we always do. And today's date is Wednesday, April 25th, 2018. I do hope that everyone's having a wonderful week. My week is just off the charts great. And I'll tell you guys about that toward the end of the show. But tonight, we're going to have a, we're going to have a really awesome discussion, and we're going to focus in on dementia and black Americans and caregiving and loving while living with dementia. We have an awesome panel of guests. But before I even get into introducing our guests, let me give you guys a little description of the show so you know what to expect. As always, the listener line number is area code 323-642-1562. So if you have questions, comments, you would like to share your experiences or concerns, please feel free to dial, feel free to dial in during the show. And when I open the lines, I will take your call. So here's our description tonight of our show. Dementia is a disease that is considered a silent epidemic in the black community, with black Americans being two times more likely to develop late-onset late onset Alzheimer's disease than whites, and they're less likely to have a diagnosis of their condition, resulting in less time for treatment and planning. And that's according to Ellison's article written in 2018. In addition, black Americans have a higher rate of vascular dementia. And that's according to Alzheimer's Association. So tonight what we're going to do, we're going to focus on defining and, di- and how defining dementia, learning how it's diagnosed. We're going to learn about the symptoms, the types of stress that not only the patients endure, but the caregivers as well. We're going to talk about the types of dementia, the warning signs, causes, medical trials, treatment, and how black Americans, especially black women, are affected by dementia. Now, discussion is also going to focus in on racism, including environmental racism. We're going to talk about poverty and traumas, quality medical care, and the psychological, emotional, physical and social well-being of black Americans living with dementia, their caregivers and family members. And before I go any further, listeners, let me clarify something for you. When when I mentioned the racism and we're talking about dementia and health issues, it's because it's been this longstanding issue of how black Americans are treated with regard to health care. So in that regard, that is what I'm, um, that's the point that I'm speaking to there. So tonight, my good friend, Dr. Ron Epps, and her colleagues, and I'll introduce everyone, they're going to share strategies with us, which focus on, on moving from caregiving to care-loving. And we're also going to list, learn about Dr. Epps' groundbreaking research on equipping faith communities to become dementia-friendly faith villages. So our guest tonight, tonight is Ms. Mia Chester, who's a volunteer 
and Outreach Manager to Alzheimer's Association. Ms. Jackie Thornton, who's a Senior Vice President of Leading Age Georgia and a Board Chair at Sage Navigator. Our other guest is Dr. Fayron Epps, who has over 15 years of ex- nursing experience. She is currently serving as an Assistant Professor at Georgia State University, I think it's the Burdine F. Lewis College of Nursing and Health Professions. And she's also an affiliate faculty member the Institute and Partnership for Urban and Research. Dr. Epps received her BSN from Tuskegee University, her MSN in Healthcare Systems Management from Loyola University in New Orleans, and a PhD in nursing from Southern University and AM in college. In 2015, she completed her postdoctoral fellowship with the National Harford Center of Gerontological Nursing Excellence. Currently, Dr. Epps is an active member with numerous professional associations, I'm sorry, organizations. And on top of that, she's written and published numerous, numerous articles, has done groundbreaking research. And what makes everything so um, exciting is that the group of women together tonight are also involved in faith communities, which we're going to talk more about later on. Now, getting back to Dr. Epps, her career goal as a nurse scholar is to promote health across the lifespan by increasing the quality of life for family caregivers and recognizing the multidimensional complexities of supporting older adults through nursing research, education, and service. Her program of research involves evidence-based practices for actually promoting quality of life for African-Americans with dementia and their family caregivers. Good evening, ladies, and welcome to Visibility. Good evening. And I'd like to thank you all for being, yes, thank you. I'd like to thank you all for being a part of the show tonight, um, because as we've noted earlier, dementia is something that we really need to address, especially within the black community. But let me begin with asking you um, this question, and I'll pose it to Dr. Epps. Dr. Epps, what is dementia? So, Donna, I would actually let Mia Chester answer that one from Alzheimer's Association. Okay, okay great. Mia. Sure. So, we think of dementia as a, a general term that describes problems with um, thought, mood, behavior, memory loss. And we should think about the, the dementia as like a, a term that describes a decline in mental ability severe enough to interfere with daily life. So um, dementia, there's no specific disease called dementia. It's just a group of symptoms that really describe a decline in memory or other thinking skills or abilities. Okay, let me ask you this. When I was talking to um, one of my neighbors earlier, she associated dementia with what they used to call being senile. Is there a connection there? Is she incorrect? So I think um, dementia is often referred as senile or senile dementia, and it's a term that we've we've all heard before and we often hear people still use, but it does reflect a um, widespread incorrect belief that mental uh, decline is associated with normal uh, normal memory loss. So Mm -hmm. I think people think you get older, you you become senile, 
And so right. that it doesn't work that way. So that's one of the things we do want to clear up is that Alzheimer's disease, dementia, these are not normal parts of aging and neither is um, senility or being becoming senile. Okay. Now, what are the types of dementia? So we also think that there are more than 70 types of dementias. So you will have um, the most common form, which will be Alzheimer's disease, but there are also forms such as uh, dementia with Lewy bodies. You have vascular dementia, frontotemporal dementia. Um, there's in, in mixed dementias as well. And those are just some of the most common forms. But, again, we do recognize that there are more than 70 types. Wow, it's interesting. Now, and then also, the, I'm, I'm, no, no, please continue. I'm sorry, Don. I also wanted to um, mention with the different types of, um, this is Dr. Epps, the different types of dementia, there is also, they can be categorized as re- reversible and irreversible. So wow. I just want to make sure people know that there is some other medical illnesses or conditions that can mimic some of the signs and symptoms of dementia. And if that condition is treated, then you will see some of the behaviors that are um, aligned with dementia diminish. Oh, okay. So let me ask you this then. What is Alzheimer's disease? So Alzheimer's disease is a form of dementia. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's severe enough to cause problems with memory, thinking, uh, mood, and behavior. But right. what we see with Alzheimer's disease is that the symptoms begin to develop over time, um, and they begin to get worse over time, and they become severe enough to affect a person's activities of daily living. We say that it is a progressive uh, form of dementia. It is not a normal part of aging. And currently, um, we know that there is no cure for Alzheimer's disease, but there are treatments um, on the market that can help deal with some of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. Now, does Alzheimer's actually differ from dementia, even though I know they're connected? Is there a big difference? Yes, and that's probably one of the misconceptions that we, we want to clear up is that people often believe that they are interchangeable words or that, mm-hmm. you know, they're one and the same. So the easiest way to think about it would be to look at dementia as an umbrella term that will describe problems with thought, mood, behavior, and language. And Alzheimer's disease is a form of dementia among other types of dementia. So just because a person has dementia does not mean that they will go on to develop Alzheimer's disease. Okay, good. That's good clarification. Now, when we start talking about symptoms, what are the warning signs and symptoms of dementia and also for Alzheimer's? So I'll jump in here, Dr. Epps, too, and then please um, fill in where, wherever I leave off. But one of the things that I, I want to associate, you know, Alzheimer's disease with, or we may already know, is it's a, a loss of memory loss. But um, we're wanting to clarify that it's short-term. So a person will struggle with short-term memory loss. They may have trouble um, 
retaining recently learned information. Um, we see a person struggle with uh, maybe their spatial relationship, maybe vision changes. There may be changes in mood or personality. A person may also um, forget how to do things that were once very um, common to them or they could do with ease. But I always like to think of it as a change from that person's normal uh, behavior or their normal baseline. So it is going to affect their their um, daily life. So these changes are causing them to maybe take a little bit longer to do things, but it is something where this memory loss is affecting them. And it is severe enough that a person does begin to notice uh, changes within themselves that are not uh, normal to them. But Dr. Epps, add to that if, if I miss anything. No, I think you kind of grouped it, and just to make sure that people can relate to it, if it interrupts, it's changes that interrupt your daily life. And I think if we can give examples, so if you um, know every day at 3 o'clock you pick up your child from school, and this is what you do every day without even thinking about it, and then all of a sudden you're forgetting to pick up your child from school. Um, something that interrupts your daily daily living or your daily um, activities. Now, let me ask you this before we go on. When we start talking about Alzheimer's and dementia, is it only um, – do they only affect people who are older, or can it happen at any age range? It can happen at any age range. So a lot of people think, oh, this is – that's what old folks get, right. and that is not the case. Um, if you look at the statistics, because it, it, um, early onset dementia can occur, we put that in the category if it occurs before you're 60, and um, Mia, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the statistics say now that currently I think it's around 10% um, of the diagnoses of Alzheimer's disease or dementia are persons that's before the age of 60. Wow. Uh-huh. Mm, that's, now, that's so, no. so it can really occur, and you know, and it, it goes with the different types of dementia. Okay. Now, is there a test to see if someone's predisposed to dementia? So there's, yeah. there's no one single test to, you know, determine if a person has dementia, but we do know that there's genetic testing available to see if someone might be predisposed to dementia. Um, you can look at it in two ways. There's two sets of genes. One would be a set of risk genes um, that basically put a person at risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. And then there's a set of um deterministic genes, and if a person has that set of deterministic genes, it uh, guarantees that they'll develop Alzheimer's disease. So genetic testing can tell someone whether or not they are um, predisposed to dementia, but one of the things that I think we can all suggest a person doing is participating in clinical studies and trials to determine if they um, might have a gene um, that predisposes them to um, a form of dementia. So, good, let me ask you this then. Let's say someone goes to the genetic testing and it's determined that they are predisposed, that they do have this gene. 
is there anything that can be done to make sure that they don't develop dementia? Can they take medication? Um, well, unfortunately, there's, you know, the, the person will leave with the, the, the knowledge that they have the, the gene. Um, but at that moment, there's nothing we can do to intervene to stop it from developing. You know, one mm. of the best things we would say is early, the early intervention would be uh, to take medications. But, again, those medications will only treat the symptoms of dementia, but it will not will not stop the disease from uh, progressing. Okay, I remember. And um, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say also, um, Donna, just to piggyback on that because I know if I was a listener, I'll be like, well, hey, why do I want to know <laughs> if I'm exactly or I was getting or not. <laughs> Yeah, so I just want us to think about, you know, because especially as black Americans, that's what a lot of us would say. And when I speak with my colleagues and um, white Americans, they're like, we want to know. We might not know for sure we get it, but we can put things in place. We can start talking about it with our family. So if it does happen, it will not take everyone aback. And, you know, we can have things in place. And I think that's how I, I would like us. Um, as a black community to look at it, you know, we, we want to know, it's not for sure that you will get it, but if you at a slighter, slighter, higher risk, you can start having that conversation with your siblings, with your children. So if it does occur, it won't be a lot of conflict and, oh, what are we going to do? And, you know, hopefully it helps um, reduce some caregiver burden that might be associated with that. Okay, good. I don't know if any of you ever saw Tyler Perry's movie, The Family That Prays, together. Um, Kathy Bates played a role in the movie of a very wealthy woman who, I, I don't know if it was dementia or Alzheimer's, but she was forgetting people, faces, um, and she would get very upset. And, and there was a scene in the, in the film where she woke up in a hotel room with her best friend played by, played by Alfie Woodard. And she didn't recognize her. And she had no idea who she was, and she was able to finally remember. But toward the end of the movie, she took pills and ended her life. My question is, when that happens to individuals, and I know this is probably asking probably the impossible question to be answered, but how do the individuals who are experiencing dementia, what do they go through like, like emotionally and psychologically? Does that really wreak havoc with them in their lives? So I, so my research, I actually do research, and then I can let um, Jackie and Mia chime in. I actually do research with persons that are actually living with dementia, and I have to say that they, they are very aware, especially early on, Mm-hmm. When the memory loss is occurring, when there's disruption in their daily life, they are aware, and there's a lot of emotions that go with that. Um, and we've heard a lot of people talk that actually um, are able to speak about their lived experience um, with um, different types of dementia that it's so easy to isolate yourself and then go into depression mm-hmm. because your whole world is changing. And so mm-hmm. that's what I've seen in some of my research and when I um, go out and I hear persons who are living with dementia share their story. I'm not sure, Jackie, if you have any other um, 
Sure, I, I, I would love, yeah, I'd love to share. Um, so what we hear from individuals living with dementia is often, you know, they recognize the change. And care partners, uh, spouses, and those that live with an individual that's experiencing memory loss often fill in the gap when uh, they finish and complete their words and uh, try to support so that it goes unnoticed um, to other family members and people around them. Once um, the diagnosis has been given, often, you know, there's that moment of grief and bereavement because of all those, that the notion that there's going to be significant loss, loss of, of the person as they have known themselves. Um, many of us uh, that, uh, that may, may be diagnosed that have been in careers where uh, that career has been really significant in our lives and having to let go and retire or be removed from those daily interactions that brought us such great satisfaction but we're no longer able to manage. What we hear from individuals living with dementia is that there's this huge sense of loss. And after moving from that point of grief and loss and, and just acceptance, moving towards acceptance, this is what it is, how am I going to live beyond diagnosis, is where many people find themselves. And typically the individual says, you know, hey, I'm going to still try to live the highest quality of life that I possibly can. What happens is that stigma, rather the secure partners or the friends and those who have been in our circle, begin to ostracize and move away from the individual because they don't know what to say. They don't know how to interact anymore. Um, they have their own grief because the person is changed. Right. And it creates a lot of difficult fr frustration and often, as Dr. Epps has said, the individual living with dementia moves into a state of depression or an isolation, which is like one of the worst things um, mm -hmm. that can happen. We all long to be fully known and fully received, just who we are, right where we are. Mm -hmm. Yes? It's and true. what's so important is that our community needs to learn how to still be accepting of a person, just as if they were diagnosed terminal illness, like cancer, um, HIV, AIDS. You know, years ago when you were diagnosed with cancer, I mean, it was like the death, death sentence and no one visited you. You know, you lost all your hair, no one wants. Now you see people coming out um, with their hair ball, you know, their ball heads and, and living life fully um, because we learn how to get over stigma. With HIV AIDS, you know, people wouldn't embrace and hug a person with AIDS, um, you know, 20 years ago for fear, you know, all these fears that are unnecessary. What we aim to do is to help our community to overcome stigma and to be present with individuals right where they are. Good. That's what's needed. Let me ask you then, and I'll, I'll – 
uh, direct this question at, at you, Mia. Um, according to the Alzheimer's Association, there's a, I'm saying this in quotes, there's a growing body of research that has identified vascular disease mechanism and triggering the manifestation of Alzheimer's disease in black Americans. And the NIH also noted the same. So my question is, what is vascular disease? And this is for our listeners. So vascular uh, dementia is a form of dementia, but it's related to a decline in thinking skills caused by conditions that um, either block or reduce blood flow to the brain. So what happens is that um, the brain cells needed to, you know, form thoughts and communicate um, are blocked of the vital oxygen and nutrients they need. So it really does involve an inadequate blood flow to the brain, and this can also be brought on by uh, things like stroke. Um, and we, we want to stress that vascular dementia does affect the African-American community uh, more so than other um, ethnicities because sometimes vascular dementia for us is related to our lifestyles such as diet and exercise. So I do want us to, as a community, be more aware of uh, vascular dementia and how we're at a greater risk of developing it because of some of our, our lifestyle factors. Now. Yes, and to, mm-hmm. I was just going to no, piggyback please. on what Mia was saying as it relates mm-hmm. to the vascular disease. She mentioned diabetes, but I, I just want, I really want our listeners to really get this because this really affects the black, um, the black community because it's not just diabetes. What falls under the umbrella of vascular disease is uh, cardiovascular problems, so cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, hypertension. Um, any type of arrhythmias that you may have. So anything, any problems with the blood vessels, the structural blood clots, having strokes or um, TIAs, some people want to call them mini strokes, all of that falls under the umbrella of vascular disease, and all of them relate to low blood flow to some part of the body. So I just want to make sure that we have that understanding and see how it's linked to vascular dementia. Okay, good. Thank you. Now, also, I noted they mentioned um, in the studies and data from a large-scale study noted that persons with a history of either, like you noted, doctors, high blood pressure or high cholesterol levels are twice as likely to get Alzheimer's disease and that both risk factors are four times as likely to become demented for those with the, with the, possess them. They, then they go on to talk about effective therapies for primary and secondary prevention of vascular disease. They say they already exist, including the cholesterol-lowering drugs, um, I guess they call the statins, and the anti-hypertension medications. Now, it also, the data also goes on to note that observational studies indicate that these drugs may also protect protect against cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. So my question is, and this is really important, listeners, so please make sure you're, you're tuning into this one. How can diet and exercise help prevent vascular disease? And then and also lower the high blood pressure, diet, you know, blood glucose levels and um, high blood pressure. How can the diet and exercise make a difference for them? 
So I, um, I'll I'll take this first, and then Mia can piggyback on. I always relate heart health to brain health because your vascular starts, you know, with your heart. And if you take care of your heart, and that's been preached to us forever. Um, exercise three times a week, 30 minutes, and make sure we eat right. And it was directly related to taking care of your heart. But we need to realize, as we're talking about the vascular dementia and the link to vascular disease, you take care of your heart, you will take care of your brain. And so that is my short answer (laughs) to why the lifestyle modifications is very important and how it affects uh, vascular um, dementia and, you know, I just want us to be mindful because, again, like Mia said, we use Alzheimer's disease interchangeably with dementia. But remember, dementia is just a broad term. And right now we're really speaking toward vascular dementia. Mia, is there anything else you want to share? I would just add that, you know, one of the things that I think we also kind of maybe overuse is the word prevent with, with this disease And, you know, one of the things I like to say is reduce the risk because I oftentimes feel like if we knew how to prevent something, we would do that in order to not um, maybe get that disease or, or, you know, prevent something from happening. But what what we would recommend is, just as Dr. Epps said, is that we want to really encourage people to have things like cholesterol, diabetes um, under control or um, under treatment, and hopefully living a healthy lifestyle that includes um, eating a, a healthy diet, exercising at least three, three times a week, um, maybe even walking 30 minutes a day can all be helpful, but I think it's a combined effort amongst those things um, that can help eventually reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, but there is no one thing, you know, or one of those things done alone may not be as effective as a um, combined effort. Okay, good. So let me go through this. There's some facts, listeners, that I wanted to share with you. Among the findings from research highlighted in a report, by the Alzheimer's Association, there's a new emerging public health crisis, and it has been, has been identified among African Americans as a silent epidemic of Alzheimer's disease. Mia, do you want me to go with the, the, the data, the statistics, or would you like to do that? No, you're, you can go with them, okay. and I'll just chime in. Okay, great. So here's, here's some information for your listeners. Among the findings from the research highlighted in the report, it noted that Alzheimer's disease is more prevalent among African Americans than among whites, with estimates ranging from 14% to almost 100% higher. There's also a greater risk of Alzheimer's in African Americans, and genetic environmental factors may work differently to cause Alzheimer's disease in African Americans. And I'm going to stop there because I wanted to ask all of you, my guests, when we start talking about environmental factors, can anyone give me an idea of what they're referring to when they mention environmental factors can work differently to cause Alzheimer's in um, African-Americans? Me or Dr. Abs or Jackie? Yeah. What are, what are some of the environmental factors that yeah, so- um, 
when we you know, we we hear a lot about like um, food deserts uh, in mm-hmm. community, uh, not having access to quality food, um, and when you can't have you know gain access to high quality foods at an affordable rate, and in socioeconomically you are you know disadvantaged, and that mm-hmm. just creates you know issues and problems. It's not that. It's not, you know, um, it's available, but if it's a, you know, 30-minute ride on a bus to go pick up decent groceries, you know, you can see how that could be a barrier to being able to eat well. The other things that I think about is environment in terms of, and I noticed that some of the literature to um, racial impacts. Um, and how we learn to cook, you know, is from the people who taught us before, you know, our parents, the parents before them. And oftentimes because there wasn't either the finances to buy quality food or from this, the historical factor of the African-American community, it's handed down some poor habits, and it was out of necessity for survival but now yet we find ourselves in the 21st century still not having uh, the right plate, if you will, right. when we sit down at a table because of those historical events in our lives. So now what I love is that there are organizations out there like the um, National Cancer Institute who have created down-home healthy cooking recipes for us to still still have that wonderful flavors that we're accustomed to utilizing some of the same foods that we um, hold dear in our cultural perspective but how to create the meal so that it's healthier good that's the point excellent okay let me continue listeners um also there's a cumulative risk of dementia among first degree relatives of african-americans who have Alzheimer's disease, and that's 43.7%. And let me move on. 65% of African-American Medicare beneficiaries have hypertension compared to 51% of white beneficiaries. They're also at higher risk of stroke. And this is data from the current Medicare beneficiary survey. It also goes on to note that African-Americans have a 60% higher risk of type 2 diabetes which is a condition that contributes directly to vascular disease. African-Americans also have a higher rate of vascular dementia than white Americans. And African-Americans tend to be diagnosed at a later stage of Alzheimer's disease. And when that happens, that limits the effectiveness of treatments that depend upon early intervention. So my question is, Dr. Epps, when they're saying that African-Americans it appears that they're being diagnosed at a later stage. Why are we seeing this in this era, in, this, in the millennium? Why are African-Americans being diagnosed later than other racial groups? So it can be for several reasons. Um, number one, it can be just related to the lack of knowledge mm-hmm. about the about dementia, about the several different causes of dementia, and what the signs and symptoms look like. Um, so just the lack of knowledge about that, then you don't think anything's wrong. And we kind of spoke about that earlier. Some, um, a lot of people in the African American 
African-American community think this is the normal part of aging. You right. know, because it's, it's been going on in our community for a while, but it just never got to that point where we were going to the doctor to get it diagnosed. Um, and so you have that. And then we have, when you do bring your loved ones to the doctor, you don't really know how to report what you're seeing at home. Um, so I tell a lot of families you need to journal for at least two weeks what's going on because that day you do go to the doctor, that's going to be the day the doctor doesn't see anything because right. everything will just be right in place. So you want to make sure you bring that journal. But a lot of families that I talk to, they don't. And so, again, the doctors, oh, nothing's wrong. Um, and then there's a lot of – it depends on the doctors that the families are going to because there is um, – even a lack of knowledge among physicians. So we are, we are. There are many people working hard to make sure physicians are aware of the same things that we're talking about right now, um, the different conditions that are related to dementia and how to treat it, and um, similar things like that. But I think the number one is the lack of knowledge, and no one having platforms such as this to talk about it right, to make know, people aware. No, in my conversations with a neighbor, she noted to me that her mom had dementia for a couple of years. She would go into the doctor regularly every three months for lab work, you know, just a checkup. And she said at one point in time, she brought it to the doctor's attention and the doctor didn't do anything about it. So she found a new doctor who was able to give her the care. But here's my question. There's been a lot of research and studies and blog posts and Facebook posts and comments that how black Americans often feel, in a sense, disadvantaged when they go to the doctors because their voices are not being heard or they're not getting the responses or clarification from their doctors. So how does that play into this mix with dementia, uh, late diagnosis? Is it a possibility that perhaps that the research we've seen in the comments and the posts are correct, that black Americans are treated maybe disparately when they do visit doctors to get health care? Anyone? So I really believe, I believe, and I, I hate to say that, just say in 2018, that that may still exist. Um, but, again, that's our goal to get out and educate so we can be more informed. And when we go to the doctor, we can say, you know, part of my annual wellness visit, if you're a Medicare recipient, I can get a memory screening. You know, where Good. before, if Good. we didn't know that, we wouldn't know. But the white Americans, they know that, and they're able to get that, and they get this diagnosis. So, again, that's where the work that we come in with um, talking about and having this conversation and making sure that we know what we can get and right. ask for it. Now, let me ask you this. Why is it that black Americans don't know? I mean, what's going on with that? Why is it that we're not aware about these health issues and white Americans are aware of them? Because, because it's some, it seems to be some type of a disconnect there. Dr. Epps, what well, I, I was actually going to add that I also think that we have to consider the fact that 
you know, oftentimes we go to our doctors for all the answers, but it may also be that in the African-American community, um, it could be that we are seeing physicians, um, primary care physicians that do not know how to properly diagnose Alzheimer's disease. So I think, you know, there may be multiple uh, factors that go into why we uh, don't get a diagnosis early on. But I do mm-hmm. think one of the things that we want to do is be able to go to physicians that have the tools to make a uh, determination um, because we can't assume that all physicians know how to recognize and properly diagnose Alzheimer's disease. So it's also connecting people with the right resources that may not be in their immediate community, but saying that these are some places that you may be able to go to that can help you um, get to a diagnosis if you know that something is going on. So I would just say to add to that that point is that we have to be our own advocates when, Mm -hmm. you know, dealing with any type of health um, challenge because sometimes the people that we look to and turn to, they may not have all the answers, but we have to know when something's not right with us. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. I'd like to also share that we need to advocate for the funding for individuals to choose the geriatric track when they're looking to specialize in, um, you know, medical, getting their uh, medical degree. I mean, we mm-hmm. have not done a good job, and it's no, it's not sexy like plastic surgeons, right? But right. this population, the aging population is ballooning in America and in other parts of the world. And we have not made it a priority to subsidize education for individuals to choose, you know, the mm-hmm. geriatrician track. Uh, so we have to do That's more true. in that regard as well. That's excellent point. I always tell others when I'm talking, just like in regular general personal conversations, that we have to learn to manage our own health care as well. We have to yes. educate ourselves and and I can just say this and tell you this with a, having a back injury and seeing several doctors. And I had to actually step up to the plate and manage my own health care with regard to making sure the diagnostic tests were performed the correct ones, making sure mm-hmm. that they heard my voice. And I had a severe a spinal injury um, that left me debilitated for a good year. And what bothered me was that when I would go into the doctors, they were so content with saying, Here's some oxycodone. Here's some this. I'm like, no, I don't want the narcotic stuff. I'm not taking that stuff. I want you to examine my body, to look at my body, touch it, feel it, examine me, look at the diagnostic test, and then tell me what my options are. You know, what is the prognosis? What is the diagnosis? What is the prognosis? And what I found out from talking to older Americans sitting in doctors' offices was that. Half of them were clueless. They were not aware that they could, you know, that their voices could be heard. Number one, number two, they were afraid to speak up and let the doctor say to the doctor, for example, "No, I'm not going to get this injection in my spine. I forgot the proper term." And they would just go with the flow, and they were miserable, and they were unhappy, and they were uneducated. So I think also, you, all of you made excellent points. We need to educate ourselves, and I think it's. 
up to younger family members as well, as you notice as an aging family member, to just be aware and alert as to the type of conditions they could possibly, you know, experience, looking for warning signs and symptoms and just stay in tune with them to help them along through this process. So if, in fact, someone is in early signs of dementia, they can give them some help. I think that's so important. Um, What are your thoughts? Yeah, overcoming stigma, I think, is our biggest hurdle. Once Mm -hmm. we tear down that framework, then Mm -hmm. people can feel confident. You know, people don't realize that, you know, if a person is diagnosed with Alzheimer's type of dementia, you know, early in the process, medication can actually work for them for three, four years uh, where they actually feel the benefit. But if they're waiting into the fifth year and they know that for two to three years they've been having these symptoms and they're waiting and and hiding um, and isolating, it's more debilitating. And the experience to me uh, and just with family members that we've cared for that mm-hmm. have lived with dementia and Alzheimer's type, those who were diagnosed earlier had such a full experience. But because those that waited and did not reveal, the, it was very intense, the caregiving. And so I think that people have to remember is, is that um, – this is no different than any other diagnosis. Right. It's, it's no, no different, and people aren't to be treated any differently. They are to be supported. And, but it takes that advocacy, you know, that all of us have been speaking of. You have to become your own advocate and empower mm-hmm. others and teach them. The beauty of it is that individuals living with dementia, they can teach us so much. Right. And we need to give them the space to be able to come forward and do that. Now, let me ask you. Go ahead. No, Donna, I just wanted to share. No, you know, as we late, because um, I just had an experience today about a, a caregiver just came out and said, you know, I haven't told no one, but my mom is living with dementia as it relates to the stigma. So my question was, why you haven't shared it with anyone? And her response was, it's just a mess. Just I got too much going on. I don't have it together yet. And I I think that just relates to black women, how Mm -hmm. we always feel like we have to solve things. We have to have it all together before we speak up or we let it be known. Because when we do let it be known, we want people to see Oh, okay. They got it under the control. You know, like they, we don't want no one looking at us all pitiful. You know, um, and me as a black woman, I'm speaking from my own experience. And when she shared with that with me today, I was just like, "It's wow." You know, this is a real life example of how that stigma is related, and exactly with black women, what right. we're trying to do. You know. And I- that's an excellent point, I think, too, because it's always that, quote, stereotypical strong black woman syndrome and, end quote, and right. it's supposed to be able to hold together no matter what. But you, you make an excellent point because I've talked to several black women who said something similar that I can't say anything right now or 
once I get everything under wraps and I have it under control, then I can say do A, B, C, or D. Because I think it's this fear of being seen as being weak or ill-prepared or not able to handle their business. And that's just, that's really, it, it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because it causes the caregivers to go through additional stress, in my opinion. Um, and then and we, something that we have to talk about as well is that so often the caregiver is gone before the care recipient in a framework like that. Wow. I mean, and I've seen mm-hmm. it too often. Is it and stress? It's entirely no sense. Well, we we are, you know, told, especially as um, black people, you know, you <laughs> what doesn't kill you <laughs> makes you stronger. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> this kid, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard so it too much. many times. <laughs> it will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> The stress, I think the stress of it would be a lot because not just that, but also with black people, um, people of color, also we deal with so much more, especially when it comes to racism, because when we experience racism, that causes psychological, emotional, physical, you know, and social traumas to us, you know, you know, add in poverty, the the environmental racism issues also, but um, as noted by John Hamilton, he was on NPR in July of 2017, he noted that stress and poverty may explain high rates of dementia in African Americans. And, and let me get to my point with this. When he noticed that, and we just made the comment about how the women that we have to, like the woman said that she couldn't, she didn't have it together yet and she couldn't let people know. Do you think that the, because of the fact that we deal with so much with racism and the stress that that causes. Now, on top of that, you now have to deal with this new issue of dementia with a family member. And you have to go to a doctor who may be a white doctor. And you may feel that you may be treated in a biased manner or judged in a different way. Do you think all of that is wrapped up into that there's some connection there? And is that is that why black women perhaps feel the way they do when it comes to uh, being a caregiver because they have so much on their plate. Dr. Epps. So if you repeat, I might need to just uh, repeat the question a little bit. Because <laughs> okay. you went around, um, uh, and then you hit it okay, several I did, different I points. I certainly caregiver did. Caregiver to the person Sorry living with dementia and the doctor. Right. So, so uh, do, you, do you think that, say, let's say, for example, do you think that the stress that's caused by so much racism that black Americans deal with. And we know that racism causes psychological, emotional, physical, and social traumas. So would it be a fair assessment to say that because of that stress from that racism and the psychological, emotional, physical issues, right? Coupled with going to a doctor who may not look like you, who may be a white doctor, whatever race it may be, um, Latino or Indian, and being a black woman, having to deal with those three, the stress of the, of the racism, dealing with a doctor who may not look like you, and having all of this on your plate, do you think that's what causes black women to maybe say, I'm going to talk about this issue that I'm dealing with with my mom or my dad because of, of how they, they think they're going to be viewed or treated, that the caregiver themselves is going to, how they're going to be treated because of those three factors? That could- 
yeah, so that, that could be a possible a possibility. I think there's several possibilities why caregivers do what they do or they don't seek out help early or um, black women as caregivers. I just think there's several factors that come to play, but that could be uh, a possibility. And my research, my previous research, did show that a lot of black Americans wanted to receive care from people that looked like them. So I did want to share that because I, you know, that came up a lot in, um, in my research that I did last year in in Georgia that they wanted to receive care from people that looked like them, and that yeah. could be directly related to having that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also want to share when you talk about John um, Hamilton information as it relates to the stress and poverty. Um, I know we can always explain why this why this might be linked to dementia, but I wanted I want us to think about what what it stress being under stress and the, the the poverty that a lot of Black Americans might be in um, and other persons of color that are risk factors for hypertension, all those vascular diseases that we talked about a little bit earlier. It's not just poor diet. And high cholesterol mm-hmm. puts you at risk for those. It's also stress. Stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I just I want to make sure I keep making that link back to how mm-hmm. persons of color are under a great deal of stress than um, a greater deal of stress that puts predisposes them to the vascular diseases that we mentioned that then can put them at risk for vascular dementia. Good, excellent point because that um excellent point, Doctor, because I also know about NIH and I say this in quotations that social environmental factors that influence racial disparities and many vascular conditions such as neighborhood conditions, health care behavior, quality of medical care, and experiences of discrimination in general. So here's my question. We know that these are issues that black Americans deal with. When it comes to, you know, their health, getting medical care. But what can we do to, one, help them understand that, well, let me, let me, let me rephrase this. Let me phrase it differently. What can be done to help black Americans obtain quality health care where they're being treated with the respect, the dignity um, that they should receive when they're dealing with medical with, with a medical professional. And and my other another point I want to make too with this is that you don't know when you walk into a doctor's office if this doctor is, is is racist or treats black people disparately. So having said all of that, is it justifiable for a black person to say, I feel much more comfortable or I only want to be treated by someone who looks like me. I'm not saying it's justifiable, but I think it's that comfort level. Um, just going back to the mistrust of the healthcare system, the history of that and um, that mistrust, I think it's more the comfort level. But we can get through all of that, just as Jackie said, if we educate ourselves, and we walk in there educated, um, similar to when you share your story, and knowing exactly, hey, this is 
you know, these are my problems or this is my concerns. This is what I, I want. No, I do not want that. You know, I want this because I've done some research on my own. Right. And if and we're at that level, I really believe it doesn't ma- matter the color of skin of the provider mm-hmm. because we are educated and we're being our own advocates. Exactly. And I, and I believe, yeah, and if they walk in, man, if they think they're being treated differently and they've already educated themselves, they can turn around and walk out and find another doctor. Right. And I I just want to add to that two things. One, I think that we need to have as patients expectations of our healthcare providers, because sometimes we take what they might say to us, um, you know, we think it's concrete and, and there's no way around it, but we also need to have expectations of care. But also I would encourage everyone to align themselves with um, health care providers that their mission is um, that meets our needs because that goes back to educating yourself. You know, it might be a situation where we are accepting referrals from friends and family that have had really good experiences and sticking with those and doing our own research on health care providers, reading reviews, and just doing our, our own homework to find out if that's going to be a good fit versus mm-hmm. just accepting what we, we get. Good, excellent point. Uh, let me ask you this. I can move on so we don't run out of time. Um, in a 2000, August 2017 article written by Roshan Meadows Fernandez, it was titled, Black Women Are Suffering from all, Alzheimer's Disease, and Nobody's Talking About It. And she wrote this for the wellness section of the Huffington Post. In the article, she goes on to note, quote, the racial bias in healthcare contributes to worse outcomes for black patients, including a lack of quality medical care. The history of this phenomenon often leads to heightened distrust of doctors in black communities. This last issue in particular contributes to later diagnosis in black Americans, which in turn affects their treatment. So my question to all of you is this. To what degree can we honestly attribute racial bias in healthcare as being a factor in diagnosing dementia in black women and whether they receive quality medical care? I'm Dr. Epps. Donna, I really think that's a question that cannot be really, that can be truly answered Mm -hmm. um, with factual information. Um, And that's just how I I feel in reference to that. Uh, I don't know exactly because I think it differs as it relates to racial bias. I think that Mm -hmm. it just depends. Say that black woman, a black woman in the deep south is very different from the black woman on the west coast. Exactly. Or on the, on the East Coast. So it just, it really varies. So I don't think there is a really straight black and white uh, cookie cut answer on, on that question, Donna. Good question. Um, Jackie, Neil, yeah, I don't know if y'all had Yeah. yeah Neil, I, I would Jackie, just share that some, some of the things that we, just from a public health background, um, in looking at contextual factors like these, we are so understudied. Um, unfortunately, um, our, mm-hmm. to our demise, you know, we are not participating in research um, that can begin to look at true differences 
um, you know, in the black woman experience. Um, We know that black women die fatally in women, period, uh, in, in, in the U.S. from heart disease more so than breast cancer. And it's because when we get to the emergency room and our symptoms mimic more like what would be in a flatulence or severe gas and indigestion, um, but we were actually, you know, having TSAs and we were having um, frequent subtle notifications that our body is under distress and when we get finally get to the point where someone's listening to us, much like what you said, um, we are not being heard. And the way that you are heard is for you to find a practitioner to me. When I walk into a doctor's office and I see a notice or a bore and sign, it's like I want to you to tell me when you leave this office, you felt like you were heard, then you know that practitioner is the right one for you. Um, right. So often we we discredit when we're feeling poorly. You know, we, we count it as, you know, I'm just having a, a bad hair day or I'm, you know, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, no, if you're having that too often, you need to require your practitioner to take a closer look and to do like Dr. Epset is to journal your symptoms because sometimes what presents in our body doesn't show up the way it does in a male's body. Exactly. But we just don't participate enough to find out these nuances. Um, you know, I like to say that I'm not sure that I agree with um, with that study okay. as much as I know that we are a, a participant in our everyday lives, and we know when we're not at our optimal best, and we hide behind strength. Mm-hmm. And that's a mistake for the African American community. I, I think that we hide behind the strength because we have never really had any other choice. I mean, we had to be strong. If we weren't strong, then yes. things would have. Yeah, you didn't survive. You didn't survive. Um, we're so talking me, about we're talking about forty, fifty years later. Right. You know what I'm saying? Is we've had more opportunity in the last twenty years than ever before in our time. And but we cannot continue to allow what was in the past to dictate our new future. And we've got to teach our young people, the generations behind us in the African American community mm-hmm. about how to be advocates for ourselves and for our community. And something that I like for us to talk about is Going back, if we're going to go back to the historical Sankofa moment, let's look at the context for which we had a village and we relied on our village. So when we Mm -hmm. were doing things 
and we were doing things, but we did them in community and in, 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 in concert with our village, our tribe, you know. We've got to go back to the worth of that. Well, speaking of the, of the village, let's, let's start looking at, let's look at faith village connections. And let's look at caregiving and loving while living with dementia. And, well, first, let me ask you this. Tell us what the what Faith Village Connections is all about. So Faith Village Connections is, is this is a great segue into, based on what Jackie said, is going back to that village um, model where the, the church historically was one of the foundational institutions that held the community together. That's um, right. You take care of your own. You take care of your neighbors. And that's where the village piece come in. And we're focusing within the faith communities because we feel also that is the place where a lot of African Americans, that was the safe haven for them. That's where you turn when you're in distress. Mm-hmm. So why not equip the faith communities and educate them on how to be part of the care partner team or be part of that system of care for these families living with dementia. Re-engage these families back into church and with worship uh, because especially with the older adults living with dementia, they have the spiritual connectedness um, that has right. shown in research or when you talk, you know, that's what they know, that's what they were raised on. Um, some have said, one family caregiver, that's told me, that's why my mom, she has been living with Alzheimer's disease for 15 years. She has seen people diagnosed and um, passed away, and she's still living with it because she calls on the Lord every single day. She wow. has faith. So this is what we want to make sure that the church leaders know that this is important to them. We let family caregivers know that this is important to persons living with dementia. And there's things that um, Jackie spoke about this earlier, that there's things that a person living with dementia can still be, still engage in um, and have some meaningful connections within the church, the church family. Um, so that's just a little summary of what we're trying to do with the Dementia Friendly Faith Village. Now, let me ask you this. What do you say to the individual who you recommend get involved with the Faith Village Connection to maybe utilize the church or go to the church. What do you say to the individual who says, well, no, because as far as I'm concerned, the black church has failed the black community. I, want, I don't want to deal with it. What do you do then? Well, I think when they see, um, we are working with a couple of churches in Georgia, and our goal is for the community and these families to see that these churches are acknowledging that, you know what, we have not been or been that support or follow the expectations of our communities. And they're acknowledging it, and they're they're like, okay, Dr. Epps, we we want to learn more. You know, we have a dementia-friendly workshop for church leaders this upcoming Saturday, and we have several church leaders just coming in so they can learn how to meet the needs. We, so need that's we need you guys to come to New Jersey. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> we do, seriously. Um, because see, let me just say this. I think what you're doing is phenomenal. And I think that 
not only would it help the person suffering with the dementia, but the caregivers as well. So I want to commend all of you for Faith Village Connections because it's something that should be national and all over. Because that that role that does make that does make a difference. So you ladies are doing an outstanding job with that. And every chance I get when I see something up there, I, I share it with the hope that others will pass it on and they reach out to you and say, Hey, can you come and talk to us? Because that until we start realizing that there is help there, especially with what you're doing through the churches. I think that too many people are going to continue to suffer in silence and caregivers are going to be stressed out. And speaking of stress with caregivers, um, we know that taking care of a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's can be stressful. Um, Not just the caregiver, but the whole family. Uh, So when we see this happening, how does a dementia affect the psychological, emotional, physical, and social well-being of caregivers and family members? What does it do to them? So you mean caring for yeah. someone? Right. If you're caring for someone who has dementia, how does that start to take a toll on you psychologically, emotionally, physically, and socially? What does it do to them, to the caregiver? So it takes a great- it takes a great toll, and I think I want to go back to even your intro into the question, Donna. When we said, mm-hmm. so, see, when we use the word suffering, we mm-hmm. might want to back away from that because our goal, that that is our goal. Our goal is to um, combat the suffering term and know that. Oh, no stress, not suffering, not no, not suffering. Stressful. Mm-hmm. How is it stressful to the family member? Mm-hmm. I think it's for lack of knowledge. I think that it creates stress because we don't understand what's happening. We don't understand how to respond. One of the really great tools um, that you can find online is through a actual occupational therapist. Her name is Tifa Snow, and that's T-E-E-P-A-S-N-O-W dot com. And she has modules that actually help and educate people on what are the similarities between the different types of dementia, how to interact and respond to a person based on the type of dementia that they've been diagnosed with, what are successful tools to use to redirect and and assist with behavioral changes that may be faux pas, you know, and What's beautiful is that community is beginning to open up theaters, is beginning to open up cafes and memory support so where people can engage in public living fully with dementia. Okay, so let me um, ask you this. I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I think it's for lack of knowledge. When people begin to understand what's going on, how to be a, a support, how to create what we call care partner team and not live in isolation with the, with that load only on one or two people um, and involve children. You know, children are so wonderful in interacting with people who are living with dementia because they don't, they're not judgmental. They right. are in the moment with the person. So we can learn from that childlike innocence that where you just love a person for who they are, you know, and, and respond to them right in the moment. 
those are the kind of tools that we are wanting to teach in faith-based communities from nursery school, you know, from the youngest, and all the way to, you know, the, the lead pastor. Because when the entire congregation can be exposed and educated, then everybody's a part of that care partner team. People don't have to live in isolation with one, the burden just on one or two or few. Okay, um, excellent. Let me ask you, what are signs of caregiver stress? So I, I, I'll chime in and say some some of the signs are going to be obvious, and those will be things like denial, maybe thinking, you know, my mom will get better, or um, that person might be angry, frustrated. You may see things like anxiety, um, and a lot of anxiety might come from fear of what's, you know, the future or facing another day of caregiving. But some of the things like depression, exhaustion are, are things that we, we might want to look for. Um, and then health problems, because oftentimes caregivers tend to um, neglect their own health. So I think there are multiple things that we should look for when trying to determine if a caregiver is experiencing stress. Maybe they are having social withdrawal, thinking they can do everything on their own. They don't want visitors. Um, They don't want any help. So I would say the best thing we can do to support caregivers and to help with their stress levels is to be a support system and ask how they want to be helped as well. Because sometimes we think we know what's good for a person, but they may need something that's very simple that might mean more to them than what we were actually trying to offer to them. So I think it's just paying attention to the, you know, the moods of the caregiver. Is is he or she irritable, um, having a problem with lack of concentration? So just knowing that person and knowing when something changes and then knowing when to step in and to offer help. So what should someone do if they notice, um, they start noticing symptoms, uh, signs of dementia with a loved one? What is the first thing they should do? So if a person notices signs of dementia with a loved one, I think, you know, going back to what we we said many times, I think it's important to journal and write down those um, signs that are not uh, normal to that person. But most importantly, I I would say, um, say say something to the doctor and seek some assistance. If a person is 65 and older, it might be um, a great idea to start with that Uh, annual uh, memory screening during the annual Medicare wellness visit. But, you know, we we need to speak up about it. If we notice signs, we shouldn't just um, brush it off or think, oh, it's normal or, you know, this is just, uh, it'll get better. We need to be aware when something is different from a person's baseline and look for people that can be helpful in making a diagnosis of dementia, healthcare providers that have been helpful, whether it's through our, our medical network or through family and friends. A good, excellent, wonderful, wonderful response. Let me ask you also, when with the faith communities and the work that you're doing with the Faith, faith Village Connections, how do you um, get the family members to 
really embrace this individual with dementia and continue to love them for who they are right now? How does how do you do that? Well, one of the measures that we're using is to simulate the dementia experience mm-hmm. uh, to actually help them to walk a mile in the shoe of a person living with dementia. Um, that empathy, that form of empathy helps people to wear it on for size. And because of that, you're able to interact differently. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the measures. Are there, are there to, I'm sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say to piggyback on what Jackie said, the virtual dementia experience that we do share, we did have a participant share with us I will see my mom in new eyes now. And so that really brings the full full circle exactly what we were trying to get them to understand what it's like and and really now love that person and understand that person that's living with dementia. I think that's phenomenal. I think that's a simulation. I think that's excellent because it can make a difference. Because now they can see it from a different perspective than they did before. So, Dr. Epps, we all know that that church is really important for a lot of our elders and our community. So, how can we get the faith community? And let's just say there are members in the, in the congregation who are not participating in the Faith Village Connections. They're not aware of the effects of dementia and how it affects people. What are the challenges that the person suffering with dementia would have to deal with in relation relating to the other congregation members. So are you to rephrase the question, so um the person living with dementia while they're attending church and participating in church or religious activities, what things they might have to face um as it relates to the the embarrassment, um or just the thing you know in Go ahead. Just people who are not people who are not educated about what dementia is. So, in other words, like the reactions from reactions from other members in the congregation to how the person with dementia may act or behave. What are those challenges that are there for that individual dealing with dementia? So, so for example, um, staring. I mean, we do that a lot in church. Period. <laughs> If right. someone is steps outside of that norm of that tradition, they stand up when we don't stand up, or okay. they speak out of turn we don't. I mean, right there, the stares from other um, mm-hmm. members of the church—that's true—really, really can impact or have and have a great impact on that person living with dementia. And our goal with through Faith Village Connections, I know we're focused on dementia, but our goal is to really educate the congregation so they can be aware and just that one simple stare will not occur. It'll be just like, oh, we understand. And that to me was so welcoming to that person living with dementia and to that family caregiver. Wow, exceptional. One one thing that I've heard from individuals living with dementia is like, if you could just be with me today, 
you know, and if I happen to say, you know, repeat the same story two or three times, you know, the best thing that you can do is have a smile and to nod and give me reassurance, you know, mm-hmm. that I, you know, I am um, akin so much of we have all the tools and we've been taught everything from kindergarten, you know, and then they how to be right. Somehow um, we lose patience when it's an adult. We love to hear the cries and shouts out and the um, amens from little people, you know, mm-hmm. as they're growing and learning how to be in church. But we're not very patient with elders and older adults when they exhibit certain signs that are out of turn, if you will. That's true. That this is, is our true. opportunity to go back to our biblical principles, go back to our spiritual principles. You know, what you've done for the least of these, you've done it also for me. Um, that should be imparted to older adults living with dementia and their caregivers um, the same. True. That that is so true. So let me ask all of you this too. How did you all of you get interested in into working with people with dementia? What what sparked that for you? Well, I will Dr. start Ed. with my yes. I will start for me. Um, I I got interested in my previous research was just with family caregivers and looking at the role that religion plays in uh, family obligation plays in their caregiving journey. And um, as throughout my research, I started also getting into the literature, and it was the alarming statistics that that got me or got me to focus my interest in African-American families and persons living with dementia. You know, and these statistics have been around for a while when African-Americans are twice more likely to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and I did not know that. And here I was educated with a PhD, and that caught me by surprise. And so that hit me, how many other people out there that don't know this? So that is what triggered my initial um, passion to take my research um, in this area. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Amia, what about you? What made you get involved with Alzheimer's and everything? Well, I think one of the kind of the, the, one of the things that has always stood out for me is that um, our elders have so much to offer, and oftentimes, you know, we we ignore that or we forget that. So for me, it was just working within the aging field where I could help um, our elders and really and learn from them because that that's been a big piece for me. Um, I think. You know, Jackie said it best that there's still so much to offer, and we have to continuously create those opportunities to learn from our elders. So that was my driving force is that, you know, we need to continuously see them as, as wise and, and offering so many gifts. And, and so I think that's what really drove me into looking into the aging field. Great, Jackie. What about you? And for me, it was a, a personal experience. Um, 
in summers I was sent away to Savannah with my great grandmother and um and in hindsight after the research and the studying this understood that you know, she was living with dementia back then in the seventies and how what a wonderful relationship we had and she's the one that brought me to love geriatrics and that I wanted to go into this field, you know, at a young age. But as I began to mature in my in my work and began to see these stark differences in terms of supports for people living with dementia, having a my husband's aunt who uh, died from Pick's disease, a form of dementia, very rare, very vibrant, vivacious woman, dies at the age of 56, and when the onset at 52, and by 56 she was gone from oh, us. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That up close and personal, his uncle who had Alzheimer's disease and yet a new, uh, a younger uncle, the youngest of teens, uh, now has presents with um, vascular dementia. And oh. so it's been a family, a part of our family experience, and we've been caregivers for a long journey in this, and we're still so far behind in helping individuals move beyond stigma. And so, you know, this is important. It's it's important from a family's, you know, perspective. It's important to me from our community perspective. So I'm all in. And meeting uh, Dr. Epps, she uh, kind of put us on rollerblades. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> what she's done to me. I can tell you I've always had like an interest in it. But one day um, I think it was Dr. Epps tweet, tweeted, tweeted something and it came across I know somebody sent it to me if it came across my news feed. And I said, my gosh, you know what? This is an issue, especially in the black community, that we don't talk about. We're not educated enough about it. We're not getting the information. And I started, I went to her Twitter uh, feed and I started looking at everything she had posted. And like you said, she put me on the blades and, and set me going. So we thank you, Dr. Epps, for your hard work. Um, the research well, you're welcome. And um, since you brought Jackie, that up, yeah. we want to make sure that we have the listeners that to to go to have Facebook, to go to Faith Village Connections and like our page and be able to follow it because we do. That's where you can continue this discussion, continue receiving education um, on how we can really support and live and support those to live fully with dementia and um, support our faith community. So Faith Village so Connections. So everybody, listeners, that's Faith Village Connections on Faith Facebook. Um, please go there, like the page, and you'll be able to get their um, post in your news feed because it's important. And Mia and Jackie, I want to commend the both of you also for the outstanding work that you're both doing with, you know, Leading Age Georgia and Alzheimer's and with Faith Village Connections because we need you and what you're doing in our community more than you could ever imagine. So... Thank you for um, your hard work, all of you. For you, actually, you are the change that we need to see, especially in the black community, with dealing with dementia and learning to understand it. And all of you provided a wealth of um, information. 
uh, that was so important for us to everyone to learn about dementia, to understand it. And I really believe that as a result of the information you shared, that it will change a lot of people's perspectives and views and the understanding of people living with dementia. So I want to thank each one of you, um, you know, for participating and sharing. And before we close, I would like to ask each one of you to just give us an update with what you're doing with your prospective organizations um, focusing on dementia. Mia, we'll start with you with Alzheimer's. So right now we're just really focused on reaching out to diverse communities, um, African-Americans being one of them, but we're also trying to reach communities such as um, uh, LGBTQ as well as uh, Latinos. So our goal is to make sure that, you know, if people aren't coming to us, we're going out to them. And, And honestly, this partnership with Faith Village Connections has been a, a blessing for us because this is exactly what we should be doing is going out, educating people, um, and then, you know, opening doors for people to learn more about dementia and, and Alzheimer's disease. Yes, and thank you. Excellent. Um, Jackie, what about with Leading Age Georgia? So, yeah, with Leading Age Georgia, we are hosting seminars primarily for uh, those in the field of aging to become more aware, those that are in the healthcare sector to learn uh, their part and, um, you know, making the change and shifts that we want to see. Culture change and the Eden Alternative is a curricula that we teach and we offer so that individuals can begin to understand that care partnership is where we need to move. We need to move from caretaking through the caregiving to care partnerships and creating a village concepts for people to be successful as they age. Brilliant. Um, Dr. Epps, what about you? Where, where, where are you at with your research and um, dementia-friendly faith so, villages? All right. So I have really two current research projects. One of them is looking at an online caregiver education program, and this is available for it anyone across the United States because it's an online version, and you can just go to www.telesavvy.org, and it'll take you to the information page for the research study. It's a six-week program that we are offering, and we're just trying to see if it can reduce burden, and that relates to the caregiver self-care. And then also we're in the beginning phases of working with two churches in the Atlanta metro area, um, for the Dementia Friendly Faith Village Project, where we'll be modifying a worship service that will be dementia friendly, um, so we can wow. welcome in those families back into the church and also have them participate in worship, and hopefully wow. improve the family well-being of both the caregiver and the person living with dementia. You ladies are awesome. You, I mean. You're breaking down the walls and the barriers, and you're doing awesome things in the community. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing to make a difference and bring awareness to the dementia issue. I cannot um, thank you enough for being guest tonight. Um, would you guys like to leave any closing statements before we um, sign off? Dr. Epps. I just want to thank everyone, all of the listeners out there, and please do not let this, I'm hoping that this could be continued um, or the first effort for you to continue your education on this 
subject matter, and um, please reach out to us through Faith Village Connections page, and we'll be sure to share more information with you. And what I'll be doing um, also with uh, listeners and to my guests, I will share your Faith Village uh, Connection pages on all of our social media sites, especially for visibility, Complexity Talk Radio, the National Girls and Women of Color Council. We'll share that because by sharing is one way of getting the message out there as well. And if anyone has any questions, should they just go to Faith Village Connections and leave a message there for you? Yes. Okay, great. So everybody remember, listeners, it's Faith Village Connections on Facebook. My guests tonight were Miss Mia Chester, who's a volunteer and outreach manager at Alzheimer's Association, Miss Jackie Thornton, who's a senior vice president at Leading Age Georgia, and the board chair at Sage Navigator, and Dr. Ron Epps, who is an assistant professor at Georgia State University, and all three of these awesome women are involved with Faith Village Connections. Ladies, thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, good night. Good night. Okay, listeners. Sorry, listeners, I think I disconnected everyone I did. But listeners, thank you for tuning in tonight. Once again, for information on Faith Village Connections, you can find their page on Facebook. Facebook. They have a wealth of information there. And most importantly, re-educate yourselves, your family members about dementia, especially in the black communities. There's a wealth of information out there. Find it, read it. And most importantly, make sure that you educate yourself when you're going to the doctor. You know, do the research, find out about the conditions, symptoms, so that you can be informed. When you're informed and you understand what's going on with your body, I think you're better able to respond and to deal with it. So at the end of the day, when all is said and done, remember that you are your number one priority, your health. If you're living or dealing with someone with dementia, or if you're even trying to get your churches involved in having faith villages um, that focus in on that, please reach out to Dr. Epps, uh, Mia, or Jackie through the Faith Village Connections page. I want to thank you guys for tuning in tonight. A reminder for the call for submissions for the anthology, Our Voices, Our Stories. It will close on May 31st. So please encourage young women to write essays, poems, short stories. It could be a narrative about an experience because your voice is important and they must be heard. So remember, May 31st, is the close of the calls for submissions. Also, if you have any questions or would like to have us cover a topic of interest relative to something affecting girls and women of color, please feel free to let us know at Visibility or Complexity Talk Radio. This is Dr. Culpris. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good evening. Thank you for joining us for Visibility with your host, Dr. Donna Maria Culpin. You may contact us at 866-829-0163. We're looking forward to you tuning in next Wednesday 
at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, remember to define yourself for yourself. Dare to be different and dream in color. This is Dr. Culbert signing off for Visibility. Good night.